Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. I very much value or very I'm very interested in the moments at the end of the meditation after the meditation what's going to happen there as the eyes open and the body moves like am I am I going to drop everything and go back to my natural whatever hecticness or half presence or like is there something that I could invite on the other side you know ringing the bell try to be present as I ring and touch the wood then open the eyes and see is there something and often what's possible for me is to actually invite uh, some uh, attention presence or awareness of the body to keep going you know so hands now touching moving you know or as I was drinking you know just being there for the taste or the freshness of the coolness of the water So, like, try to bring something with me from that trip inside, you know. So it's not an isolated event, but it's actually informing uh, life. So this practice we were just doing is, um, is a practice of uh, a s- cultivation. It's called bhavana in, the, in Pali, cultivation of heart and mind. So... We're actually exploring, uh, finding out uh, in just sitting here how it's possible to actually be free, open, <coughs> in the middle of what's there. You know, sometimes it's a comfortable body, sometimes it's an achy body, sometimes it's a comfortable, spacious mind or heart, and sometimes it's a, a heart or mind that is different, contracted, maybe scattered. You know? And is it possible to sit uh, with both being... Uh, having some kind of dignity, not giving up, not like being fully there, so not abandoning, and not forcing in any way. And so, um, uh, is it possible to allow life to happen internally, externally, you know, the sounds that come from here and there? Can they be uh, fully met with a mind that is going to be able to allow that to happen, to be known, you know? And so that's the cultivation of uh, heart-mind. That's what we're doing here. In Buddhism, in Buddhist uh, uh, philosophy, it's uh, one, we say that's one of three pillars. Pillars of Buddhism, or maybe the way I think about it, pillars of happiness or freedom. Yeah, maybe pillars of freedom today. So... So one of the three pillars is the bringing attention. And the first quality there is mindfulness, is this uh, interest for what's happening. What is actually happening here in this physical body? Can I feel it fully? Oh, here in this heart and mind, what is happening? Oh, there's disinterest, there's frustration present. Oh, there's joy, there's calm. Let me feel the texture of these. So... In the mind or heart development, the first quality is mindfulness, a quality of attention that is non-judgmental, non-preferential, non-coercive, not trying to get acquire something, just discovering this life. What it is like to be caught in obsession, what it is like to be present to, in an immediate way. What is a mind that is calm and gathered? What is a mind that is scattered? Not thinking about, but having a full experience live, kind of a, in real time, in the middle of, you know, awake in the middle of that being, not driven as usually by, you know, fear or expectation or even generosity, but being awake to kindness if it's there. It's not just led by it, but aware of it feeling it and in this way making lots of discoveries about and then this mindfulness then can come to um, relationships 
and community life being really and what it is it is a allowing a feedback loop allowing a deeper maybe reading of situations huh? so if I'm attentive I'm being, giving my full presence not my presence that is as an idea of how it should be and so I'm like half listening because this is not what you're supposed to be telling me now in my script you know or you know but what is actually happening here really tuning in and responding allowing a more wise response you know because we're going to feel fully you know where there's probably going to be some amount of calm there some amount of centeredness or equanimity it's going to be developed with this practice that's what comes with it so this pillar of mind and heart development very important as important as the two others the two other pillars are do you guys know what are the pillars wild guess joy is beautiful it's not one of the pillars but I think maybe we should add it <laughs> just <laughs> make the whole base really strong joy is in the heart mind development because when we bring careful attention to what's happening either if uh, we're going to become interested and curious and, in, and the curiosity is going to turn into joy joyful curiosity oh my god Look at that. Life is happening. Wow, sounds. Oh, irritation. So interesting. And joy comes from a quality connection with reality in Buddhist practice. So it's in this pillar. So another pillar is um, generosity. So it's at this, really at the center of practice. So letting go of self-absorption, self-calculation, self, you know, and then opening up a liberation, a freedom in this way where we can actually consider others in the same way. So, and a third pillar is what we're going to talk about today is the pillar of ethics or integrity or non-harmful living. And so these, this is what makes Buddhism what it is. The, the, all the techniques around developing the heart and mind and uh, the teachings around generosity and ethics that makes the full and there in French we would say vase communicant I don't know if there's an exact expression in English but it means that they feed each other you know because if you want to develop generosity you'll have to bring a lot of care to what's happening inside of you you know or I'll have to do this inside of me bring a lot of attention for to discover opportunities of uh, generosity where it is actually alive in me and what's the feeling of that and when it actually dies down or crumbles or hides you know and what what does it feel like is that you know to so the exploration of uh, generosity will need some of uh, and what generosity is but an expression of non-harming you know actually caring for others is a beautiful way to be non-violent right And so uh, they all inform each other. So today we're going to look at the non-harming practices in Buddhism or some of the thoughts. I considered this a little bit. These are not like Buddhist in a way, like I'm presenting it like this, but we all know these are humane, humanistic uh, values. They exist in many other thought schools or traditions or religions or uh, non-religious kinds of thinking, you know, so they, they're of the human experience, of the human nature. But now this is the framework we're using Buddhist thoughts to look, look at this. Yeah. And so non-harming is very interesting on the path because it serves in many ways And about everything in the Buddhist path I'm, path I'm finding can be presented in this way. So now I'm going to talk about non-harming, the intention of non-harming, and the actions around non-harming, and uh, the effect of our actions, so the impact. So all these ways to consider harming and non-harming. Uh, it says that it's actually good uh, in one psyche, just for oneself, for one little self, if one is very preoccupied with self, which we should be, you know, because we're in the middle of that psychophysical thing all the time. So it's a prescription for happiness. The Buddha said, oh, you want to be happy? Make sure that you don't abuse people. 
or systems in any way that you don't cause harm in different ways and we'll look at the different ways do start by doing this and you might feel how uh, what's the experience of that for yourself you know a feeling for example what we call the bliss of blamelessness isn't that a beautiful expression the bliss of bla- the joy of integrity the joy of not having abused a situation or abused power or abused uh, um, abused time or uh, trust or abused uh, in any way anybody both so let's talk in this way so this experience just here of that you know and the beauty of that of going to sleep at night and saying oh, wow I could have been really nasty there you know I could have you know really like have them pay because I had the beautiful opportunity to just <laughs> say that in front of everybody and wow that would have been so pleasant and here's the money back or whatever you know and I actually did not you know wow and the the joy that can come from uh, knowing our nobility, you know, and claiming that, saying like, wow, it would have been easy, and I did not, you know. This person would never have known. I could have lied, you know, and actually decided to say, speak about reality, you know. And so I like to talk about this and consider this because that's a kind of joy, maybe, that we don't give ourselves so much access to. And there's a big pool there where we can actually rejoice about this and rejoice when we can see it in other people. So the intentions to not harm and the practices of non-harming are good in that mind when they go to sleep at night. No justification, no agitation in the mind. The mind can rest. Also, if you want to practice meditation, the Buddha would often say like, oh, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, you know, you want to gain access to beautiful spaces in the heart-mind, actually, you have to make sure that your behavior around is not harmful because it's not going to be possible to find peace and calm and openness in here if there's cheating around in some ways, you know, and lying or abusing again. It's not going to be possible. You can't have one and, and it comes with the other, you know. So often the teaching, actually the gr- what we call the gradual Buddhist teaching, starts with generosity, then it goes towards ethics, and at the end there's the mind development meditation. In the West, the way Buddhism came, for many of us, uh, um, uh, it came through uh, meditation first, and then after we heard about ethics, and then about generosity, you know, like it's been lopsided for the um, uh, kind of converted uh, uh, people discovering this, not being born in the Buddhist uh, culture. Because if you travel to Buddhist uh, culture, and some of you might know this from experience, from being born in these cultures or or living these cu- in these cultures, uh, generosity is at the forefront. Uh, very often, I remember many trips in Burma where this was definitely the teaching that was the most prevalent, you know, and sometimes people would say, oh yeah, I do practice meditation, but I practice generosity. We do, you know, since I was born in my family, I was, uh, you know, I would go and offer meals to monks and nuns, for example, you know, I was three years old and I remember putting uh, rice in the bowls, you know, and the whole culture of generosity and ethics. Uh, and then meditation. And so we say that this uh, practice of non-harming is good in here. It's going to be good in any relationship. It's going to be good in community life, and it's going to be good globally. And so it's amazing. So it's a good selling point, no? You say, wow, it's going to bring happiness inside of me. It's going to bring more chances of happiness between us two, three, four, five, ten, city, state, uh, province, country, world, you know, and uh, and more even if you need to be convinced more about that, and you might know this. It's just the framing is interesting, the way it's framed. It says also, not only for now in yourself is it going to be good, it's an investment in the future, both for your experience of your own mind in the future, 
And also for your good fortune, that's, is it a belief or a fact? It says that if you practice non-harming, you're going to be lucky in some way. Not that you're going to win lottery, win lottery. Maybe, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> But what I've noticed, and you might know also, is that if you're non, a non-harming person, people will trust you. And so you'll often end up at night in your bed saying like, wow, I'm so lucky to have such good people around me. Maybe not making the link with the fact that you've been so caring that actually people care back, you know. You've been so considerate that people are considerate back. And that's not a, a rule without, uh, without, you know, there's many subtleties in there, you know. And so, of course, we'll find ourselves maybe in situations where there, there will be, even if we haven't been abusive, there might be abuse for sure. And we need to take care of that, very important. And so, big context of like why non-harming is present. It's also, and that maybe the last point I'll make about that, is that this is, uh, we can see it as for uh, good living, but it's also, if you think in terms of liberation, like full liberation, awakening, Buddhist kind of like uh, enlightenment, this is one of the very important uh, ingredient or uh, on the path that this is serving for one's liberation. So it's not just for good living, it could be for a living that is, feels good, but it goes much further. It's one of the ingredients that will bring a kind of a, we could call enlightenment like a complete eradication, is that a word in English? Eradic eradication of misunderstanding about reality. You know, all the mirages that we take for reality, all the confusion that we have, is not easy to clean all that, you know, considering how we've been conditioned and what society is telling us with its different messages. You want happiness, it's not about integrity or non-harming, it's about this car, you know, <laughs> that color. This is where your happiness lies. <laughs> so we're talking about very different message here. And I want to read uh, for you a few, uh, if, if, uh, if there's an answer here. Somebody's in deep concentration. Yes. Um, Can I something before you go on? Yes. About yes. They've been told to be really, really shanti, soit shanti, soit shanti, from their beginning of their lives that they rebel against them. So, yeah. you know, like, soit shanti, soit shanti, so they're fighting against that, and they're fighting against their shadow so much that, you know, to be liberated and to go to that non-harming fully. So what I said was, I'll start with yourself. Like, just love yourself and then see what happens. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? That, that, that part where they're really against it, you know? Yeah. Because like, we were told so much to do it. Like, ah, oh, yeah. you know? So, here, what we, um, the way I understand this practice is not so much uh, that we have rules to follow and ways to be, it's uh, what is in. It invited a lot, a lot is investigation, critical thinking, and realness. You know, so if I'm en tabarnak, en français, <laughs> you know, then what a thing that could call, be called spiritual bypassing would be like to totally like push this down and be nice. <laughs> because that's spiritual, that's yoga-like, that's meditation-like, and I even have the tone to go with it. Hello, so happy to be here, you know? <laughs> This is spiritual bypassing. That has no depth to it, you know? What we hear, what we practice, in my understanding, is real deep honesty, you know, and real inquiry. So everything I'm saying today is not to just act upon and believe in, is to actually deeply inquire the effect of my harmful speech, maybe, the effect of my harsh speech, or the effect of my uh, taking something that is not offered, and to actually look at it and maybe do it again a few times. Even I would, I would 
say that could be some of the instructions. Do that. Do that, but bring attention to what it does. Bring, like, be really real about it, you know, and, and see the whole thing. If you're going to abuse somebody, do it mindfully. <laughs> Go, do it. And because if you're going to do it anyway, you know, or, you know, do it, and then bring a lot of attention to that and see. Allow feedback loop. Allow, you know, deeply to feel the shame, the fear, the struggle, the whatever it's going to be there. And that is going to inform your path. That's the way to liberation. It's not to apply and kind of plucky, you know, like mm-hmm. put on top something. What we're doing here in this Buddhist practice of mindfulness is really tuning in and being attentive. And if there is anger, for example, then to actually totally be honest. There's a lot of anger here. But um, I'll say a few more words. But I'll, I wanted to read this quote. And see. stay with me and you'll see. Maybe at the end you'll see if something is still... And you don't agree with or something. And it's, it's good. If you don't agree with something... Go with your thoughts about this, right? So what you're saying, don't put it under the... Just look at it. Yeah, I'm going to present a number of ideas and you'll see uh, what's useful in there for you. And so these are the the, the real uh, words from the Buddha in English. It says, <laughs> In doing so, in, in, in acting in a non-harmful way, uh, uh, in doing so, he or she gives freedom from danger, freedom from animosity, freedom from oppression to limitless numbers of being. In giving freedom from danger, freedom from animosity, freedom from oppression to limitless numbers of being, he or she gains in limitless freedom from danger, from uh, animosity and from oppression. So the teaching here is like you offer that and you actually gain access to that because you put this out there. So it's out there, it's there, you benefit from it, right? And so uh, one way to understand this that I'm going to talk about is, uh, or the one way that I understand this is, when I sit here, I see there's a lot of confusion, a lot of things arise in this heart-mind, you know, anticipation, disappointment, fear of the future, and, and resentment from the past, uh, amongst other things, you know, there can be joy and gratitude also, but let's just name these fuse, you know. Greed, you know, like the desire that is like, I need that, you know, like I see these things, aversion, want, cruelty even, I want this person to pay. I want that person not to have access to that happiness before I have access to it, you know. I'll have access to it, and then you can have it too, you know. But not before moi, you know. So I see all these things happen. I don't know, maybe not you. Maybe you. <laughs> I su- if, if you don't see it, I suspect that your meditation needs a little bit more quietness, a little less agitation and getting, getting caught, because you'll probably find a bunch of these bad news, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, when we notice this, uh, in practice, we can recognize that, uh, so there is this happening in me. So one level of protection from these uh, um, difficult emotions inside of me is a commitment to actually look at it inwardly, but I can actually draw a line for myself, say, Knowing that these forces are active in me and I haven't cleared that up yet, I'm actually going to make lines here. And that's what we often call the precepts. So what are these precepts? The precepts are are kind of, um, we can think of them as precepts, as um, trainings, or, yeah, as trainings is often how it's presented. So there's five of them. So one is I... um, I will abstain from hurting living beings. The first basic one is killing beings. You know? So just imagine a world where there wouldn't be the killing of even just human beings. You know? There would be a commitment not to kill. You know? What different experience of the world would that be? You know? So not killing, but we, can, we could say, like I, I, have, I have the commitment not to harm intentionally maybe human beings 
matter with this. There's many subtleties there because it could be living beings, you know. I'm going to commit not to harm intentionally living beings. I'm going to commit not to take what is not offered freely. I'm going to... These are very rich, huh? Uh, what, are, what is the limit of this, what is not offered freely? So interesting, you know? So it's one version is not to steal, you know? But even that, what does that mean, you know? Just in terms of, like, consums- consumption in the West, you know? How, is it possible that we're taking something from somebody else somewhere? You know, is it possible that we're abusing in this way? That's, that's a good thing to consider, right? I'm going to commit to uh, abstain from harming with my sexual energy. Imagine a world with these three, where there would not be the taking of what is not uh, uh, being offered freely or that is not mine, right? And uh, and then uh, a use of very powerful, this sexual energy that is very powerful, a use of it that is non-harming. And we're going to explore these uh, a little bit more. But another one is the use of speech, the power of speech. So I will abstain. I get. I I commit to train to abstain from speech that is harmful. Might mean uh, harsh, uh, false, exaggerated, divisive, intentionally divisive to create division. And the last one is uh, the taking of intoxicants. So I'm abstaining from clouding my mind, from uh, uh, being interested in truth and reality and how to be with reality. I vow not to, or to be very careful with maybe alcohol and drugs so that they cannot. And usually when we present this, the teaching is this fifth one is to protect the four first one. Because when you get drunk, Sexual energy goes in all directions. Words can go in all directions. <laughs> what is mine and not mine is so not clear anymore. <laughs> and then harming is like, well, it's a joke. You know? <laughs> and all these go out the window. You know? <laughs> so that's why this fifth one is said like, oh, so I'm going to use uh, alcohol consumption maybe in a very careful way so that I don't actually lose my capacity to... Uh, read situation and my intentions, right? So, very rich, no? That's so central, really a pillar, because in Buddhist practice, uh, when somebody wants to become a Buddhist, take on that identity or go on that path in a kind of formal way, one will take refuges, refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the teachings, and the Sangha, the community of those who practice, and will take the five precepts like formally before uh, with the teacher say I want to take on the refuges and precepts this is the way that one will become a Buddhist in a way if you're interested in that you might you might be so that would be but it shows how central it is right when you're a, um, a Buddhist many Buddhists will monthly take these vows maybe again right if you're a lay person, these are the vows, the five precepts. There could be fi- uh, eight of them. When we go on retreat, sometimes we'll take eight precepts. The other three are not in uh, non-harming. They're more practices of renunciation. So renouncing uh, food that would be um, used other than for just uh, keeping the body alive and well for spiritual practice. So if you go on eight precepts, you would maybe uh, train to not eat after lunch. To say two meals is going to be plenty for my to sustain my uh, my life, you know, in my practice. So it's not going to be meals for entertainment, for example, for like uh, looking for pleasure, you know, the diverting the attention, entertaining because I'm bored to death. You know, let me make some <laughs> good meal, you know, so there's something pleasant happening in my life because the inner life is it's a little empty there, right? And so the precepts would be around food, about around uh, about entertaining. Uh, like, say, I'm not going to go see show or listen to music, or I'm going to live a very simple life to actually really notice what's happening in the heart mind and cultivate a really beautiful heart mind. 
So these are not very popular in the West. We don't practice <laughs> these so much. But uh, and it, it's it. I don't think it has to be the path. You know, it doesn't have to take this form. My teachers always said, you don't actually. You can actually through going to see a play or listening to music continue the work of opening the heart. You know, and uh, the other things would be a, about maybe a, a adornment, the way we beautify the body and say, I'm actually gonna maybe enter a period of practice where I'm not going to adorn the body in any way, like make it beautiful and desirable. I'm going to actually not uh, invest so much in the body being desirable, you know, just to see what's going to arise. Very interesting. So we're closer to the monks and nuns' life, right, where they'll shave their head, wear everybody the same robe, sometimes rags, actually, right, eat only in the morning uh, and not uh, go see... Uh, you know, shows and listen to music and, you know, spend a lot of time watching TV and things like this, right? So these are the, when there's eight precepts, I just named three more. The five that we'll be talking about today and in the, in the next uh, cl uh, classes, if you come, will be around non-harming. So very, very rich field there, no? Um... The one way that they could be seen also, many people talk about this in this way, they say, I'm really interested in mindfulness, in the development of a presence that is full, friendly, non-judgmental, is a very particular way to be uh, attentive. Huh? We are always attentive, but often we're attentive to get something. We're attentive with, in the back, our idea of how it should be or should have been or you know, we're, or we're aff there. We're not like, it's not a full presence. So mindfulness, sati, in the world in Pali, is a particular kind of awareness that is non-violent and loving, maybe, or friendly, benevolent, uh, love, uh, kind attention. It doesn't mean that we're going to be... Kindness sometimes is a, more like a sword kind of kindness, you know? No. It could be a really kind expression, you know? of setting boundaries to protect self and others, right? And so some people will use the precepts to develop their mindfulness. Because if I decide, it says, I want to bring more mindfulness in my life, I value this, but I don't know how to integrate it. People ask this to the teacher. I'm getting this asked all the time. How can I integrate more mindfulness, you know, more quality presence in my life? Well, one of the ways is the precepts. Because if I say... I'm, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I vow or I'm, I'm, uh, I want to train into not saying anything that is untrue. Mindfulness is going to kick in once in a while because ding! <laughs> you are just about to correct reality. You are just about to rearrange reality. And then that's really interesting to discover that's in the way that mindfulness would be used for liberation. Because if I'm about to say something that is not exactly to present myself or a situation in a little bit different way, it's interesting if you mindfulness kicks in, you'll notice intentions like, what am I actually believing right now that my happiness lies in being seen in a certain way? I don't so much care about reality. I really care about how I'm seen right now. Or I don't really care about reality. I really care about getting that, you know? And that, in Buddhist thinking, is like, oh, there is a misunderstanding here. You really think that you need to get that, you know, and you're, you're ready to reorganize reality to get it. That is something worthy of, mind f of being awake to, you know. So taking on these precepts, I'm not going to speak harshly, is ding! <laughs> what is happening? Why is it... You know, what are the values here? Oh, mindfulness kicks in. My value of respect I had forgotten. I'm abusing somebody, you know? And there's all kinds of ways, you know? Most of us might say, like, oh, that doesn't concern me, you know? Because I don't kill, I don't steal, you know? I'm, I don't have sex. I'd, <laughs> I'd love to, but I actually don't. <laughs> so I don't harm anybody in this way. <laughs> you know, and we'll think, oh, I don't drink so much, and, uh, and I'm... I'm I'm a nice person. Everybody says I'm a nice person. You know? <laughs> so I'm fine. But there's a lot of subtleties in there. A lot of ways, you know, where we can actually 
maybe we're not harsh because we don't shout. You know, it's like, oh, I haven't shouted at anybody in 20 years. You know? No, I'm not saying this. You, you might. You know? But you might think this. But, you know, just in the way that you're like, mm-hmm, uh-huh. You know, you're making little sounds, you know, or even in the silence, like cold shouldering somebody, you know, and you're, you're going to pay for that, you know. Just by my beautiful smile, I'm just going to be so smiling that you're going to, I'm going to piss you off with my smile, you know. Do you see what I'm talking about, you know? So then that's the mindfulness there is like, hold on, because let's check intention here. Am I actually being smile, smiling to make the situation a little bit more fluid? Is it a generous act? Or is it like, I'm above that kind of a... I don't know, but, you know, I've seen human beings. I, I've, I happen to be one. <laughs> I see all kinds of things, you know. And so by committing to these precepts, maybe regularly, you could... One could... Every, I talk to people who do that. They say every morning, this is my practice, you know. Before I sit, I reflect on these five, you know. And just... And then they'll inform my day. I'll see suddenly will arise opportunity to actually abandon things that are not serving me, old ways of being that are not serving to me, right? So they're presented in, uh, in a negative way, as, you, as you've noticed. Huh? I'm going to abstain from, abstain. So there's many thoughts around that. Why is that so? Why is that presented in a positive way? Maybe three things about that. Usually when I see three things, the last one I'll forget. <laughs> Hopefully I'll remember one of them. So what three things I want to say is uh, one of uh, my teachers, Bhikkhu Bodhi, says, the way he explains it, he says, it's as if you want, you're giving a, 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 a piece of land that you want to cultivate, you know. And, uh, and so... First, you have to, um, what's the word in English when you remove everything, like the rocks and the roots and the, yeah, that's in French. In, in English, <laughs> we're, we're having the same, uh, we're in the same world. <laughs> excavate, excavate, okay, so you have to clean the land first and then you can actually grow what is beautiful. But so first, so that's one way that it's presented. So we say, I'm going to abstain from this to actually see this and then start to cultivate uh, uh, something else. In the teaching, also it says that it seems like it's, uh, it's negative the way it's presented, but it's actually talking about, it is in the abstinence, in the renouncing some, you know, the abuse or harmfulness, <coughs> There is in, inherent in this the cultivation of the opposite. Uh, it's good to actually name it also. That, so what, when we abstain from uh, killing, harming human beings, what are we cultivating? We're cultivating love. You know? We're cultivating care, compassion. <coughs> when we abstain from taking what is not offered, we're also invited to value generosity. You know, and again, care and uh, a kind of like a, a worldview that is not self-centered or us-centered. You know, whatever the us is, the we. You know, me and my family, me and my tribe or group or you know, you know, but something that opens up because the non-harming is is not exclusive. It's inclusive. All beings, all beings, right? The way it's been also phrased, you might have noticed, is I vow, I will train, or I take on the precept of, it's very kind of like I, located just here, you know. And many people have thoughts around this. They say, what is the edge of that? You know, if you're really practicing this, is that really going to be just like I don't kill, or I'm actually not going to let others kill also? I'm also not going to let others abuse and take what is not offered or oppress in some way, you know. Uh, so that's a very interesting reflection to have, is what is, am I really that isolated that I can do this alone? Or can I feel really clean if I just don't take what is, like, I'm clean, I don't, 
is that is there something else required of me to go a little further and say look you're actually taking things you're abusing the system here you're taking something from the system that is not uh, given to you you know to an inviting or activism in some ways so that the whole society becomes uh, you know led by these uh, precepts or these non-harming ways so that's very uh, interesting just there and uh, would you be interested in me reading you the precepts as they are uh, presented by maybe Titnat Han was a wider is an activist is a peacemaker and how he thinks of the, these and then I'll let's say I'll start with this if I can find uh, I thought I was well prepared. I still, I still think I am. <laughs> mm. So let's start with another one. I, hopefully it's going to show up again. Because I was just highlighting it in a document earlier today coming here which is not showing up there's another group in the, the Manzanita village in California that have a, that have a really beautiful wording of it so in the kind of same spirit of opening uh, the reflection here I'll read you the five precepts from the uh, Manzanita village so it says it's expressed in this way Aware of the violence in the world and of the power of nonviolent resistance, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations and vow to cultivate the compassion that seeks to protect each living being. So it's framed in a positive way and also like it seems like we have the wisdom of the First Nations here, like there's something about the other generation, the land, and the, the presence of the ancestors. Like there's a recognition of something really vast. So it's not just like, I will not kill, but uh, I will actually... Uh, something bigger here that I, for me is very touching. Aware of the poverty and greed in the world and of the intrinsic abundance of the earth, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generation, and vow to cultivate the simplicity, gratitude, and generosity that have no limits. Aware of the abuse and lovelessness in the world, and of the healing that is made possible when we open to love, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generation, and vow to cultivate respect for beauty, and erratic power of our bodies. Aware of the falsehood and deception in the world and of the power of living and speaking the truth, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generation and vow to cultivate the ability to listen and clarity and integrity in all I communicate by words and actions. And the fifth precept, aware of the contamination and disintegration of the world and of my responsibility for life as it manifests through me, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth and future generation and vow to cultivate discernment and care in what I take into my body and mind. Powerful wording of this. So you can find this online if you want. You would have just to remember five precepts and Manzanita village. And if you Google that together, you'll find uh, these appearing. Um,
And something happened to Titnatan. Oh, here he is. Shall I keep this for next time, maybe? Or are you curious to hear it? We're in the same kind of waters as the Manzanita village, right? Okay. First uh, training. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I am committed to cultivating compassion and learning ways to protect lives of people, animals, plants, and minerals. I am determined not to kill not to let others kill, and not to condone any act of killing in the world, in my thinking, and in my way of life. It's, it's pretty thorough, huh? Even in my thinking, in my inner world, right? Because <coughs> the precepts are often taught, uh, taught as how they impact, how I impact others, right? And here he's saying, no, the precepts are, and, and also can be... Uh, can be a, an expression we use is I broke the precept, you know, so I l lied or I, you know, so I broke the precept. And so here is kind of suggesting I'm actually not going to break the precept, not in action, but even internally, allowing myself to, uh, um, to uh, condone uh, in thinking, you know, uh, killing. <coughs> Second uh, training, aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social, social injustice, stealing, and oppression. I am committed to cultivate loving kindness and learn ways to work for the well-being of people, animals, plants, and minerals. I am committed to practice generosity by sharing my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in real need. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. I will respect the property of others, but I will prevent but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering or the suffering of other species on earth. That's vast commitment. Huh? It's really this something really, uh, we're talking here about engaged Buddhism, you know. So it's not just like this, it's really a wide view, a mindfulness that doesn't live, doesn't just take care of the psychological, you know. It's a mindfulness that actually extends to the global and to the systems, you know, that we're part of. Uh, many people now think that uh, the other version that's been prevalent in the West for the... F uh, Uh, for the first 40 years of a kind of like uh, inner journey, self-awakening thing, is actually, many people are questioning this. Like, yeah, well, that's cute. <laughs> you know, it's kind of kindergartenish, you know, like you take care of your little being here, you know. But uh, step up, step up. There's people around you, right? You know, and there's always that there, uh, there's uh, dominant groups that are oppressing uh, minorities or, or uh, other groups, right? Um, third training, aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I am committed to cultivate responsibility and learn ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and societies. I am determined not to engage in sexual relations, relations without love and a long-term commitment. To preserve the happiness of myself and others, I am determined to respect my commitments and to commitment and commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to prevent couples and families from, bringing bro from being broken by sexual misconduct. So... One that I want to point out that is very much discussed in several circles, uh, I'm one discussing it also these days, is I am determined not to engage in sexual relationship without love and a long-term commitment. So in many circles, people are saying, actually, there can be sexual uh, sexuality without long-term commitment. It's, uh, it's definitely one of the ways that sexuality can happen, you know. It can be uh, w with great respect, you know. Uh, there's different ways to be, you know. Long-term commitment is one version of reality, you know. Uh, 
that has failed in many ways for many people. So just to mention, you know, monogamy, uh, long-term monogamy is, is, is questionable, <laughs> as is celibacy. And like, all these forms are questionable. So many people say that. I'm one of them saying, like, hold on. I've watched, I looked around, you know, and I've seen that this it hasn't shown as perfect in every case. So there might be other ways, you know. So my, I just brought my little reflect, personal reflection around that here. Thanks for allowing me. Okay, two more to go. Fourth uh, training, aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the ability to listen to others I am committed to cultivate loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and relieve others of their suffering. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I am committed to learn to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy and hope. I am determined not to spread news that I do not know to be certain and not to criticize or condemn things of which I am not sure. I will refrain from uttering words that can cause division or discord or that can cause the family or the community to break. I will make all efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. So there's something. And I, if I was allowed to add a sentence, I would say something about speaking up. You know, I vow not to break up and create division, but I vow to speak up. You know, and question, and uh, also, so like, just in case one would think they just have to be nice and just say things that only bring joy, you know, sometimes it's actually important to name stuff, right? And the last one here aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consumption, I am committed to cultivate good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family and my society by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I am committed to uh, ingest only items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy in my body, in my consciousness, and in the collective body and consciousness of my family and society. I am determined not to use alcohol or any other intoxicant or to ingest food or other items that contain toxins such as certain TV programs, magazines, book, films, and conversations. I am aware that to damage my body and my consciousness with these poisons is to betray my ancestors, my parents, my society, and future generations. I will work to transform violence, fear, anger, and confusion in myself and in society by practicing a diet for myself and for society. I understand that a proper diet is crucial for self-transformation and for the transformation of society. Pretty thorough, no? Pretty amazing. So you can find also these five precepts, titnathan, right? Um, and these are, these can definitely become daily or weekly reflections that can energize one, you know, bring really clarity and intentions, you know, to organize energy, you know, because otherwise we can get lost easily. There's so many things to do and things, and actually to actually put, uh, think about this, the Buddha would say, what we reflect upon uh, regularly becomes the inclination of our mind, becomes our, what we're made of, our personality, Right? And so if there's something of value in there, then one of the forms is to actually reflect, use the thinking mind to uh, bring this forward, you know, so that I can actually be a living uh, expression of these, you know. Or, and, it, and it's a lot. It's a lot. It's probably a big work in progress, right? Mm. Wow. <laughs> How's the energy? That was like, <laughs> right? And it only the beginning. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I think it's very powerful stuff that is in there, and even by reading reading it today, I was feeling uh, part of a, one thing that I was feeling is uh, 
how the practice, the reflections around non-harming are liberating from like a self-obsession, self-centeredness, self... Uh, even if you think that you're a piece of shit, you know, if you happen to think that you're not worth mu much, often it doesn't... Uh, still we're self-obsessed, you know, like because we, we can spend the whole day thinking about how I don't... I'm not worth much, you know, and it's still, you know, I could think I'm grand, you know, but I can... most of us think we're not so grand, you know, and but we're still obsessed, you know, about ourselves, you know, And that, and it's a, it's a conception. It's a view of reality. It's a it's a perception of reality where everything is perceived like I belong. I don't belong. I I didn't get this. I got that. I, you know, me me me. It's it's very isolating. And as I was reading this, I was like, wow, like Titnathan and uh, the, the good people at the Manzanita village day. They really invite me to open up, you know, to to liberate from self-obsession, right? And so, and it's a good thing, you know, to actually suddenly consider the others, especially those that we think of in these terms of others, right? For many of us, uh, with a lot of privilege, you know, that we to actually open up and really be attuned, be aware that there are other lives there that are. Not in the dominant culture, not uh, having access to what many of us have access to here. So it's until five, so that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm thinking that maybe I don't know if, if there's a few uh, minutes. Are, are we in? A, there's a, if you have to go, I would say please feel totally free to leave. If you can stay for a couple of minutes, it would be good to actually just maybe be inside. Like if I had organized reality better, there would have been a little more space in there. You know, I don't know. It went quickly for me, at least. So let's just sit here for just a minute and let the words uh, dissolve. see what uh, impressions are left, maybe some words that stood out, or some images that came to mind, or some intentions. Uh. Not trying to remember everything, but just one little aspect that stood out, things said by me, or Titnathan, or the Buddha, Maybe see if there is one commitment that you would like to make, or one kind of uh, training you'd like to take on. Say, oh, of all I've heard this week, I'd like to really be careful with speech, or really be careful with consumption, or really like uh, become more awake instead of automatical or habitual around something around non-harming. Just taking a moment to feel the body sitting here and breathing. And feeling the hands touching something, one another or the legs. And hearing sounds fully. And feeling breath happening on its own. May this uh, practice, these reflections that we uh, had today, uh, 
serve as a protection for us and as a protection that we can offer also. May they be onward leading for us and for everyone around us. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.